Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guest today is Sue Evans. Sue is the Chief Operating Officer of Walden Family Services, located in San Diego, California. Well, welcome, Sue. Thank you so much for joining our podcast series. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Well, you're very welcome. I'm looking forward to finding out more about your program, your award-winning program, I might add, and we can talk about that also as we go through our conversation today. But before we dive into that, I'd like to, as I usually do with these podcasts, I'd like to ask you to please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background and how it is that you came to be connected with the foster care system. Yes, of course. I have almost 35 years in uh, child welfare. I started off as a trained social worker back in England and working with foster youth of all ages. And then I moved to California in 2000 when I started to work at Walden Family Services. I have worked there ever since, and I have worked to develop programs for foster youth. Our programs here at Walden are working with foster care and really working with youth who are transitioning out the foster care system to give them the best opportunity possible. Our foster youth are our next generation of community members, and it's really important we invest our time and energy in providing them with all the skills that they need to be successful in their communities. And I have developed lots of programs over the years, and we've also done a lot of advocacy. Initially, when I started, there was no extended foster care for foster youth. And at the age of 18, foster youth had to leave the system, often without good resources to support them. And this was very concerning to many of our child welfare professionals. We did a lot of advocacy. And in 2013, the law started to change and allowing foster youth to make a choice as adults that they could stay in the foster care system until they reached the age of 21. And as part of that, there was involvement that they could also be part of our transitional housing program. And this is a was a new program at the time. Walden were one of the first to apply for the license to provide transitional housing to foster youth. And it's not kind of housing just in your traditional sense. It is transitional housing with case management, where we place foster youth in an apartment in an area where they already have connections and often with a roommate. And we sign the leases, we pay all the rents, and then we provide them with intense case management and all the skills to learn how to live independently. And at the end of those three years, we help them transition out into either other housing programs or to live independently. That is a fantastic program. Now, before we move on, I want to backtrack just a little bit because you had mentioned extended foster care. And one of the challenges that I keep hearing is helping the young people make the decision to stay in foster care, in the extended foster care program, once they reach the age of 18, because so many of them are just done. They just want to be done with it and out on their own. But research is showing that they are more successful if they stay in extended foster care. So I'm wondering what you do at Walden First of all, what numbers do you see as far as those who opt to stay in versus those who leave? And how do you help the young people decide to stay in? 
This is a very good point. Like all 18-year-olds everywhere, 18-year-olds feel they, you know, can make their own decisions, which is right, they're adults. And the nice thing that California did in the law was allow youth to change their mind. So it is actually pretty common that the youth will graduate from high school and think that they can be out on their own. And then they're allowed to come back in. They can go in and out of foster care, which is really important because we have to consider our young 18-year-olds as adults and treat them as adults, but have a safety net around them to support them. And so the really nice thing is that many of the youth will decide that maybe they can go out and then they will contact the county again and say, actually, no, I need to come back into housing. So we have up to about 300 youth in our transitional housing program in Southern California. Most of them haven't come through Walden's foster care system. These are youth who have come back in or through probation or child welfare. And many of the youth do come in and out. So they'll have tried on their own hasn't worked and they will then have come back to us. Other youth will decide, you know, when they're in that last year of high school that yes, they would like to carry on and move into a transitional housing. Many of our youth have not actually been able to finish high school due to often the many challenges, many placement changes. You know, one of the first things we do is make sure any youth coming to us that has not finished high school actually gets enrolled. And our first goal is to help all our youth graduate high school, because without your high school graduation, it is very challenging to be able to be as self-sufficient as a young person would like to be. So that's a really important goal for us to help in whatever way we can. But it's very common and we expect our youth to change their minds. We also expect our youth to make mistakes. These are young 18 to 21 year olds and they certainly are allowed to make mistakes, just like I'm sure myself or any other 18 year olds many years ago. The important thing is our foster youth often don't have a safety net. These are young people who often don't have an adult outside the professional system to help support them. You know, when I was young, if I needed assistance, I could call a family member. Our young people are often very isolated and often don't have that natural support system. When our youth make mistakes, we work with them. We don't ask them to leave the program. We really work closely with them and help them develop some of those crucial skills that they need during this three years to help them move on to full independence. That's great. So... You have the transitional housing program, which you said you have about 300 youth in right now? Right now, we have a little less than 300. Um, We go up to around 300, and that's because many of our youth during the pandemic were allowed to select to stay in past their 21st birthday. And the end date was the 31st of December. So our poor staff were working frantically all over the holidays, trying to locate and make sure our youth had safe housing plans to move into. So now we're busy placing, and that's where your wonderful grant came in. We are busy placing about eight youth a week who've been on our wait list. And one of the pictures I sent you was actually our wonderful housing manager getting ready to move youth in. We actually spent Christmas buying up Amazon to buy all the supplies ready to move (laughs) our youth into the housing as soon as possible because we've sadly had a lot of youth waiting on the um, housing list. And as you're aware, you know, housing has been in a little short supply the last few months and very expensive. So um, we're busy working as hard as we can to move many of those youth. We really don't want youth to fall into homelessness, although sadly some of our youth have gone into homelessness and are waiting. You know, we are taking our youth in as quickly as we can. 
And when they come in, they have everything there. So we provide all the hygiene products. We provide brand new bedding. Everything is set up for them, including we take them shopping for food. So they're already set up. And then we start working on developing those independent skills to help them sustain their housing. We work with our employment specialists to help our youth get work experience, enroll in school, enroll in community college. And then we don't charge rent, but we have a sliding scale that we ask our youth to pay money towards like they were paying rent, but that actually goes into a savings account for them. So when they leave the program, All that money goes back to the youth to help them either pay a deposit on an apartment, maybe help them buy a car and help them move on to their next housing successfully. So it's not unusual that our youth leave sometimes with seven, eight thousand dollars. I think that's a terrific program. You mentioned the picture that's going to be on the website. So if anyone's listening to this through a a podcast service, you might want to go to the website agingoutinstitute.org and look for the podcast lists there, and then you will be able to see the picture that you're referencing. So one of the things I wanted to just clarify, the ages that you work with, are these young people all over the age of 18? We have two housing programs. One is 18 to 21 year olds who are still choosing to be in foster care. And then we also have another housing program that goes up to 25 for youth who've aged out of foster care. And that's a little bit more independent. And then in addition, we also do independent living classes for the 14 to 17 year olds, because it's very important that we start teaching some of these important skills as early as possible. Yes, I agree completely. So we provide like a classroom style independent living skills and we provide incentives for the youth and that we do it on Saturdays after school where we're really teaching some of those basic skills such as money management, understanding about credit, understanding the important documents they need to start to get together like their birth certificates, social security cards, knowledge about financial decisions and then some basic household skills and developing those skills as early as possible. When our youth come into our housing program, we continue with that skill development. And we have youth at all different levels. Some youth, you know, we're teaching basic skills like keeping homes clean, how to pay utility bills, which actually is a very important skill that we help the youth sign up for the utilities, how to pay their bills on time, how to minimize expensive bills, how to keep their credit safe, making sure you don't share your social security number, your bank card number. How to budget is really important. How to cook food, how to make healthy food, where to go if you need something. So in the future, say your paycheck doesn't come, where would you go in order to access some help with food if you needed it? Because food insecurity is a huge issue. We have many pregnant and parenting young people as well. And we also have a specialist parenting educator. We want our youth to have healthy pregnancies. We work a lot on keeping healthy, on care of a newborn. We also run nurturing families classes, which are very successful. We run them in the community as well as within our housing. And really teaching all those very important parenting skills because we want our youth, both our mums and our dads, even if they're non-custodial parents, to have those great parenting skills to develop a good bonding attachment relationship with their child. And ultimately, we do not want our children's children to end up back in the child welfare system. 
Nurturing Families is a very successful program, really helping young people develop empathy, understanding of appropriate stages of development, and doing a lot of coaching. It's very, very important. Absolutely. I just want to share with those who are listening that you did a a podcast interview with us. It was almost exactly a year ago. I don't know if you realize that it was January 24th of 2021. And the reason that we're bringing you back, besides the fact that you have a terrific program there for young people aging out of foster care, is because you applied for and won our large organization or large program award this past year, the 2021 award. And that was the grant that you were referencing earlier. So I just want to let people know if you wanted to go back through our podcast and listen to your other podcast that you gave a year ago, it's the one dated January 24th, episode 26. But that's something that I did want to take a moment and just congratulate you for your win of that award. And it's nice to hear how you're utilizing that grant, yes, at least in part, to help these young people get moved in. And it has been wonderful. It has really helped us to speed up moving young people in, as I said, especially because it's been... It's been a little challenging, obviously, as for everybody during the pandemic. And we really wanted to make sure we were moving our young people in as soon as possible, as soon as our 21-year-olds were able to successfully be moved out. We really sped up working as fast as we could, and your grant has helped tremendously. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. And I also just wanted to wrap back around. You had mentioned, of course, that we do not want these young people to go into homelessness. I think some people have different pictures of when you say homeless, what that means. So I just want to ask from your organization's perspective, when is a young person homeless? What's the situation in which they would be considered homeless? From our perspective, a young person doesn't have a set address where they can live. Often our young people will be couch surfing. They don't have anywhere where they are certain that they can stay. So a lot of the time with young people, it will be couch surfing with friends and relatives or friends of friends, sometimes maybe sleeping in a car, not having a secure, safe place which they can use that address as somewhere that they can be. It's so important with our young people that to help them move on from there and provide them with all the resources for them to be successful in housing. For many of our young people, you know, if they find without that safety net of housing, they are very, very vulnerable. We're working with a population of youth who have often been through a lot of trauma that has led to them, sadly, with their family breakup, with them ending up coming into the foster care system. And they're very, very vulnerable without housing. We work with many youth who are part of our LGBTQI plus community. Again, many youth, there is an over-representation of our LGBTQ youth out in foster care and young homeless people. And again, they're very, very vulnerable group of young people. We want to make sure that we are always welcoming and affirming to all We actually describe ourselves and our organization as an anti-racist, welcoming and affirming agency. And that we believe our vision is that every child has a loving family, the ability to realize their potential towards becoming a self-sufficient and productive member of the community. I'm just wondering how many people out there are even aware that LGBTQI plus young people in that community are, like you're saying, overrepresented. 
Is that because they are kicked out of their homes or what's the reasoning for that? I'm sure a lot of people might not even be aware of that. Sadly, there is a high representation of young people who have been asked to leave their homes or have been rejected by family members or even sadly, sometimes the carers they've been placed with. Many young people have sometimes run away because of that rejection. Also, you know, a young person who is rejected, they're going to have a potentially a higher rate of mental health issues due to that rejection, higher rates of depression, sadly, higher rates of suicidal thoughts. It's extremely important that we are all as welcoming and affirming as we can be. There is lots of great programs out there. And it is so important that we recognize that we need to be welcoming and affirming to all. These young people are still at high risk. Right. Now, you partner with landlords out in the communities. Is that your model? We do. We actually partner with apartment complexes in the community. So one of the first things we do is when a young person is interviewed, they ask if they have any natural support system. Because all the research shows us that if a young person has a natural support system, it may be a friend's parent. It may be someone in their community. It's important that we make sure we help nurture that natural connection, because that is one of the healthiest connections for both mental health and for both long-term success. So if a young person has that natural connection, we try and place them in an apartment where they can continue to have that connection. So we will look with the young person where they wish to be connected in the community. And then we will find apartments there and we work with the apartment owners. Now, many young people, you know, like to be in the cities. They like to be, you know, we have a lot of apartments in certain areas which are close to the community colleges, close to transport. So we look at all these areas when we're trying to place a young person. And we do have a number of youth placed in certain apartment complexes. And one thing I would kind of like to raise that it's so important that we are open It's been quite challenging sometimes to find apartment complexes to accept a program like ours. Sometimes there are not always positive views of young people that they will maybe cause more issues. So really, one of the things we teach our young people is that we need you to be the role models for others. We need you to help us show the apartment complex that it's great work to open up your apartment complexes to young people. And we teach our young people how to be good neighbors. But if I may interject, Do you work with the landlords at all to help them? Because I wanted to wrap that back around to our earlier conversation about the extra support that some of these young people do need. Do the landlords go through any kind of preparation or training, say maybe some trauma-informed type of information so that they can be aware of these young people's situation and be more sensitive? We don't because you're working with the housing management companies usually because they're usually very large complexes that will rent to us. But what we do do is try and develop some support. So workers will go in and they will talk with the apartment complex individually about our program and about the needs of our young people. And what we find is every so often is that we will have one of the housing managers that will really link to one of our young people and will really welcome our program, maybe because of previous experiences they have, or maybe it's a particular area that they want to feel they're supporting. 
So we have had some success. We have one great success story recently where a young person actually was able to stay in the apartment complex and take over the apartment herself after she left us, utilizing some of that savings money. And the housing manager at the complex has really developed a natural support, almost like a mentor to this young person and really looks out for them and supports and helps them. So we do it not formally, but very informally and We spend a lot of time talking with the management companies when we go in, people who are in the office every day, talking through issues and how we can help support them to support our young people by allowing them to stay in the apartment complexes. Okay, that sounds great. Now, if it's an individual placement, so some of our older teens that are placed in foster homes, absolutely, we do a lot of individual trauma-informed training. All right. You mentioned something in regard to having employment specialists. I don't know if we talked about that in our last podcast interview. So I'd like to ask you a little more about the types of work that you do with these young people to find and keep employment. Absolutely. So we have staff who are employment education specialists, and they will work with all the other community resources. There's multiple, multiple different community resources, and they will help link our youth to those resources. And some of them are work experience. They will help link them to interviews. We do a lot of kind of interview skills with young people. Sometimes we'll even bring community members in to do practice interviews, helping our young people develop their resumes, and a lot linking them to work opportunity programs. There are multiple work opportunity programs, and they can be some of the best programs to help our youth develop skills. And what do you mean by that when you say work opportunity programs? There's a lot of funded programs where maybe a young person will be sent on an internship to develop skills. Maybe a young person is developing culinary skills, or maybe they're looking to go into a construction position or a health position. And there is different programs available. And we will try and what well, we do, we link our youth to those opportunities, along with both community college and vocational. And again, a lot of the vocational programs are now offered at our local community colleges, which is great. We assist our youth finding funding for those programs, filling out the FAFSA forms, making sure that they are funded or receive scholarship to the programs in the area of interest, and really helping develop towards getting a certification program or starting on their way to a degree program, if that's their choice. Because we're really looking at helping them develop skills and getting some form of formal further education, either through a certification program, in order that they can earn more than minimum wage so they can earn sufficient funding to be self-sufficient when they leave our program or, you know, shortly after. Right. The trades is a tremendous opportunity right now for young people because they are so much in need of young Mm -hmm. people to go into the trades. And you can start at a pretty decent salary. Yes, absolutely. And we look at all those vocational and trades with our young people. It's absolutely important that we look with the young people what their level of interest is and really help them start to move towards that, because you're absolutely correct. You know, a lot of our young people have been very successful. I've had young people who've come back to us, and they've ended up being able to complete their truck driving or going into construction. 
what we're really helping our young people is look to the future. These are our community members of the future and how can they support themselves and their children if they have children. So what is the best way of doing that whilst they're with us and whilst we're covering their rent, how we can help them not only save money, but develop those skills. And is there a requirement of participating in a certain level of these types of services that you offer for them to maintain the living arrangement? Yes, yes. They do have to be enrolled in school or work or a combination of. Now, obviously, we do work with youth who have some significant mental health issues, and it may be there's a period of time where they're not well enough to be involved but the vast majority of our youth are able to be involved, or at least at some point. It may take some youth longer than others, because we work with a whole range of youth. As I said earlier, many of our youth have uh, had um, significant trauma. They, Some of our youth you know, have developed some mental health issues that we need to help them be stable and then help them reintroduce them into some work programs. Right. Now, I do know that California is at the forefront of the country regarding college and university support for former foster youth. Really, it's, it's tremendous. Virginia has a network of community colleges. It's the same program in all of the community colleges in Virginia. But as far as colleges and universities, I think California is, is really tremendous in that regard. Are you finding similar programs in trade schools or is that still kind of at the beginning stages? No, there are actually a lot of great opportunities. Um, the youth also, there's a lot of vocational trainings at the community colleges as well, which is a great way to go. So there's a lot of opportunities. You said it can be fully funded. So we work with all our youth. There's multiple, multiple trainings offered in California to help youth and our staff will help our youth apply for the FAFSA each year for the funding. There is great funding opportunity in both trade, vocational and for your community college classes. So as I said, our first goal is to get all our youth through high school because they really need that high school diploma and then move them on. We probably have probably around over 50% are enrolled in community college classes. I mean, it may be that's towards the vocational or it may be towards the first step towards their degree. In our older housing program, we have had youth who are in the four-year college programs. We've had youth graduate from college. We have one youth now who is about to graduate in our older program with their master's in social work, which is wonderful. And that will be a first for us. And we've got a number of youth who are in four-year college at this point. Oh, that's great. Now, you have these 300 or so youth in your transitional housing program in Southern California. Do you have other programs that support young people aging out of foster care outside of this? Or is this really that is the population of young people aging out that you're focusing on? We do teach some independent living classes for one of the counties throughout the county for those 14 to 17 year olds. And we also provide aftercare services for one of the counties as well, where youth who have left the foster care system and they've, you know, needs support and services and trainings, we also provide that. And even once our youth have left us, you know, we'd never turn them away, even though we may not have funding, we're always here as a support network to help link them to other resources in the community. So a lot of our young people, we do our best to keep in touch. It's part of our program to keep in touch with our young people. 
Often they come back and tell us their success. We've had young people move into the military. Some of our young people have got married. They've been successful in graduating college and they've come back to share all this great information. Other of our young people just need some assistance linking to other resources. Do you have any former youth from your program come back and work for Walden? Yes, we do. And certainly I think that's a really important model having peer partners working in our organization. I have one uh, former foster youth actually works with us and has worked with us for a number of years, does an amazing job. And she was with us prior to the housing program starting, but she is amazing. We also look to employ former foster youth, even if they weren't with us. As I said, it's a wonderful model. And the new model we're looking at is through our mental health is actually We've received some funding to have more of a peer partner to try and help outreach to some of our youth who would benefit from some mental health services. Because unfortunately, there's still a lot of stigma with mental health services. So we're kind of looking outside the box in reaching out through a peer partner, helping kind of make that connection bridge to receive some of those much needed services. What do you think is the great benefit of having some kind of peer-centered model where you have young people who have, as you say, the lived experience of being in foster care? What's the great advantage of having that kind of peer association and relationships when you're working with this population? It is really so beneficial because it's non-threatening to the young person. That young person has been there. They've walked that path. They have a greater understanding. They're seen more in the same age group. It can be so beneficial on so many levels, especially to kind of bridge that gap between a case manager and a young person. And it's somebody that they can look up to and say, look, I've been there, but I have come this far and you too can come this far. So important to use peers in these programs to really help reach out. It was a while ago, but I remember being, you know, a teenager and I aged out of foster care myself. I know when you're that age, you know, an older teenager, you believe anyway, no matter what your circumstances, that adults just can't relate. You just don't understand me. You don't get me. And I think when you're coming from the foster care system, there's that extra layer of not only can you not understand me because I'm young, you can't understand me because of what I've been through. And I can really see the benefit of having that lived experience and helping to, like you're saying, a bridge to make that connection with the young person. It's like a door opener. Absolutely. And the other important, very important thing is also our youth voice. Listening to feedback from our young people is valuable. They're the ones who are experiencing the program. Our young people need to be the ones who tell us what's working about our program, what they would like to see differently. Um, Helping them advocate their voices is so important. Prior to the pandemic, we often would take some young people up to Sacramento to help advocate on childcare bills helping link our young people to Californian Youth Connection, where their voice can be heard. Their voice is so important. It's through our young people saying, this is what we need. We need a housing program. We need extended foster care. It was our young people's voices who really helped change legislation. And it's so valuable to help teach our young people how to do that, have an avenue for them to do that. We have round tables with our young people where we invite them. We have either a former foster youth or someone outside the organization will facilitate those, asking them what would they like to see differently? How can we provide the services differently? Are there trainings you would like, certain trainings? What do you think we could learn from you? 
And it's so important to have that dialogue. I think the dialogue is important. It's important for the organization to be open to hearing the perspective of the young people and making adjustments to their programs to help better meet them where they are. And the other thing, I think it's important for young people to feel like they have some sense of control, some sense of autonomy, some sense of, I guess, control is the best word, where they can make decisions in the, of all the things that are impacting their lives, it gives them some sense of just not being tossed about, right? They have some say in what's happening to them. That is so correct. It is so important that people have control in the decisions from their case plan, what they would like to see, what they would like to achieve, which is why we spend a long time with the youth talking with them about where would they like to be living? Where would they like to have their apartment? And why is that? What is important about that? Listening to their voice is so important for success. Well, it helps them define their goals. Mm -hmm. And of course, as adults with experience in life, you can provide some advice to the young people who haven't had that kind of life experience. But really, it gives them a chance to express what it is they want to do in life and to start making those goals. I can imagine these young people in this transitional housing program of yours, this might be the first time that they've really been able to set their own direction. Absolutely. And it's very important. And we always you know, refer back to the fact that they are adults. They can make these choices now. They can choose to stay. It's their apartment. It's their choices of what they do. And absolutely, we're there to assist them with those choices and to provide trainings and assistance and help and links. But at the end of the day, it is their choice which is absolutely so important, especially for many of the young people. Some of them have been in and out of foster care for many years. They've been in many different placements. And this is the first time that they have somewhere that is their own. When they leave us, they can choose to take all the furniture, all the belongings in the apartment with them. They can work with them and we can work with them in taking over the apartments. In December, when many of our youth were leaving, we had four youth actually take over those apartment leases themselves. So really giving them the choice is so important to future success. Right, right. You've been working with Walden for what, 22 years? Yes, (laughs) I I have. Calculate that right? (laughs) Correct. (laughs) So you have a lot of experience working with young people in foster care. How long have you been working with this population of young people aging out? I have been working with young people aging out probably over the last 15 years. And prior to that, we were doing a lot of advocacy. Prior to the extended foster care, Walden actually raised grant funds and raised money to support our young people who were leaving us because there was this void. There wasn't anywhere. And sadly, there was an overrepresentation of homeless young people, many who had spent time in the foster care system. So we did develop some case management support. And obviously, it was more limited because we weren't being funded to provide the housing. But we have recognized for many years, it's so important that there is this continuation of support services available. Absolutely. Now, I'm wondering from your experience working with these young people, I'm thinking of people who are interested, maybe they're thinking about starting an organization for young people aging out of foster care, or maybe they have a new organization and they're looking to expand what they do. What do you think is the most important thing that can be done to help these young people bridge 
from foster care to adulthood. As an organization, if you're stepping in and assisting them, what advice would you give as far as what are the critical area or areas that you really need to shore up and help them with first? I would definitely say housing because many states don't offer that extended housing at this point. For a young any young person at the age of 18, they have to they are many are not ready to be completely out on their own and it's very limited what's available so it has to involve some type of housing or support for them to stay in their existing foster homes but housing is crucial many young people want to be out there on their their own many of our young people may not be quite at that stage ready to go straight into a dorm room at a four year college yet Sadly, some of our young people, due to the multiple traumas and moves, have not yet met the high school graduation yet. So it's absolutely vital we provide some ongoing stable housing for our young people and sufficient housing. And the other very important part is really helping our youth link with a natural mentor. You know, that even for those organizations where they may not be able to provide housing, looking at providing mentors for our young people. So many of our young people don't have anyone to turn to. And that is so crucial that they have someone that they can just call up or someone who will just text them. You know, how's it gone today? Is there anything that we can help you with? Or it's Thanksgiving that they have somewhere to go for Thanksgiving dinner, somewhere outside a formal system of case managers. Right. So now you say a natural mentor. You mean somebody that's already in their life? Preferably someone they've had some connection with in their life, maybe someone through school or through their community, if they belong to any religious community, somebody that they've had some type of contact with who might be able to step up and just be somebody who can help offer just some general support, like maybe a family member would. If this young person doesn't have a family member, which sadly many don't have anyone they can turn to. And do you have a like a formal mentor program? Walden does not have a formal mentor program. There are other mentor programs that we will link our youth with. And we will help our youth just identify, is there anybody who is somebody who would assist them and we encourage that young person maybe to bring them to any advocacy meetings maybe to the interview with them if they're doing case planning would they like that young person or sorry that mentor to be their support person so that's all extremely important and then there are more formal mentor programs if a young person that we can link a young person with yeah a mentor program it's not something that new organizations should just slap together. You should, you know, do your research, but like you're saying, maybe partner with an existing mentor program Absolutely. in your area. And just being open with an organization that even if you're not in a position to provide housing, making sure that you have all the resources that you can link to the other community groups. There's multiple community groups all doing an amazing job out there. And it's really the knowledge of how to link to those groups and help our young people have a warm handoff to a support group, a housing coalition, some mental health services, whatever that young person needs. If your organization has good links with those other organizations, it helps to do a warm handoff and assist the youth in accessing those services. 
Absolutely. Of course, it helps being in a more populated area to have access to programs like that. If you're more rural, that's more challenging. But certainly, I'm finding more and more of these organizations are getting started to help these young people age out of foster care. It's definitely something that more people are aware of. I think the awareness is definitely growing over time. So hopefully in the future, we'll have more and more organizations being started to fill in the gaps that these young people need. And that is wonderful. And and we're absolutely seeing that even from the gaps at colleges with different food banks being set up with different housing funds coming through. And there's a large awareness of homelessness and housing funds being carved out specifically for young people. So one of the areas which is being developed is the Section 8 vouchers specifically for foster youth, that when they leave us, that some of our youth have been able to access those. And it's fostering youth independence vouchers, and they are being used more frequently. There's more coming through. And again, that's a great step for a young person who's not able to kind of move out on their own at 21 or 22, and they still need some support, especially for some of those who are maybe single parents who just need that extra support. And that's a national program, right? It's the states acquire funds from the national program. Yes. And so we're seeing when national housing money comes available, there's more and more carve outs specifically for some of that money to go towards programs to support young people, which Mm. is invaluable. Absolutely. Because we're investing in our future by investing in our young people. Yes. Now, I do see that we're getting close to our time here. I did want to ask one last question. The foster care system itself, there's local, there's county, there's state, there's national, there are lots of different layers involved. But can you think of maybe one thing that you see as an opportunity that could be improved to help these young people age out of foster care more successfully? Yes. One of the important things is actually just helping raise awareness of the need and working to find more affordable housing options. I guess the biggest struggle we are finding is many young people needing the transitional housing and it's a struggle to find sufficient affordable housing. Um, So just an awareness, helping an awareness to those who are apartment owners and who own housing who may be considering renting to programs just to be open-minded and work with us, you know, because it could give an amazing start to some young people who will come back. And as I said, there are future communities. So I think that's one of the challenges that we are having that would make a difference. But absolutely just continuing the awareness of what the needs are and having sufficient resources to help all those who would benefit from these programs. Well, the awareness can come from many different angles, Mm -hmm. right? You've got people like yourself working in great organizations that can go out into the communities and share, share stories, share the situation that these young people are in and help raise awareness. And you have, you know, representatives (laughs) in, you know, our federal government who can, through their advocacy and their supporting of certain bills, say, for example, that they can help raise awareness. And you have celebrities that can help raise awareness. You have youth themselves who can, you know, as they're out there and getting Mm -hmm. jobs and talking with employers and, you know, they're helping to raise awareness. So that's a multifaceted solution is to get all of these people willing to share stories and to let other people know what's going on. 
Absolutely. So on multiple levels that those in the community who, who wish to help can you know, if they don't feel they can open their home to be a foster parent, but just helping raise awareness and supporting the programs and supporting the need for this in your community in whatever way you can. Absolutely. Well, speaking of support, I want to give you an opportunity to share your website address. If there's a way for people to donate to Walden Family Services, how might they go about doing that? Absolutely. We have donations through our website and I can make sure that that link goes on your webpage. And those donations mean so much. I mean, it certainly helps us. A lot of it helps us to move young people into housing quicker because it gives us more funds to furnish all those apartments and to really support our young people. So a lot of that money is absolutely going directly to support our program and allow us to expand and accept more young people. We sadly always have a waiting list. I wish we didn't. But, you know, the more young people we can place and help, the better. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, I think, unfortunately, we're going to have to bring this to a close. But thank you so much, Sue, for talking with us today again about Walden Family Services. Congratulations again on winning the award, a 2021 Large Program Organization Award through Aging Out Institute. And we will have other award winners being interviewed for the podcast series down the road, but you have the honor of being the first. Thank you so <laughs> among much. The, among the programs. So I wish you all the best as you move forward with not only this program you've explained today, but all of your programs helping young people through Walden Family Services. Best of luck. Thank you so much. And for those of you who have listened to the end, thank you for listening. We put out a podcast every couple weeks or so. You can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and just look for the podcast link. Or we also put these podcasts out through pretty much any podcast service that you can find. Just search for our podcast series and preparing foster youth for adulting and you'll find us there thanks again until next time